This is Endourology Soundbites, a new podcast series from the publisher of the Journal of Endourology and Video Urology in cooperation with the Endourological Society. This series is brought to you by Richard Wolf, a global leader in endoscopy since 1906. Richard Wolf delivers solutions that are improving patient outcomes and shaping the future of minimally invasive surgery. For more information, please visit richardwolfusa.com. Hi, this is Brian Matlaga, the Associate Director of Education for the Endourology Society. I would like to welcome you to this month's edition of our podcast series, Endourology Soundbites. In this episode, Dr. David Lee from the University of Pennsylvania will provide his insights into maneuvers that can improve the practice of robotic radical prostatectomy. I hope you enjoy. Hi, this is Dr. David Lee. I work at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm an associate professor of urology and our division of urology uh, here in Philadelphia. And it's my pleasure today to talk uh, with you about my experience with robot prostatectomy and in particular uh, three tips uh, to share that will hopefully help with efficiency in the operating room and efficiency with uh, someone's technique for robot prostatectomy. Um, so um, I regularly do a fairly high volume of prostate surgeries. I do about 400 a year and have done about 5,700 robot prostatectomies now. So I have a pretty good experience with the procedure, and these are tips um, that I've gleaned over the years of uh, doing the operations and also teaching it to our residents and fellows. Uh, so I think one of the key places to start with is the bladder neck, uh, and then we'll go on and talk about the seminal vesicle dissection, uh, and then the apical dissection, and the urethra. Uh, so number one, the bladder neck dissection. Uh, so I uh, do the bladder neck a little bit differently than many other um, surgeons do. I usually start laterally on the bladder neck. Um, I feel like this allows me to see the contour of the bladder as it's moving towards the prostate. Uh, in that way, I can tailor the bladder neck and make it very small if I wish, or if uh, our patient that day has uh, high-grade cancer that's close to the bladder neck, then I can get a wider dissection on the bladder neck and therefore tailor the operation appropriately. In order to see the lateral aspects of the bladder, what I usually do first is to lift the adipose tissue off the side of the prostate about two centimeters away from where I feel like the prostatal vesicle junction sits. And then my first direction as far as lifting the fat off is to really go straight lateral so that I feel like I'm encircling the bladder neck on either side. Now, uh, once I see the white up and down fibers of the bladder on either side and the fat that's being lifted off, and, you know, you can tell this, I think, very easily because you have a nice clean layer of white on the downside and yellow on the top side, then I can continue lifting that fat off laterally. And then once I have a sufficient lateral dissection, then I start following the bladder fibers up towards the prostatal vesicle junction. At the point where I feel like the prostatal vesicle junction sits, 
um, I usually see a pretty distinct change in the texture of the tissue. The tissue becomes a lot firmer, um, reflective of, you know, the junction between the prostate and the bladder. At that point, then I start making a kind of more medial turn with my plane, and then I can really pull those bladder fibers down away from the prostate and, again, uh, go wide if I want um, and then very narrow if I want. The other thing that I think it really helps with are in cases where there's a large median lobe or a lateral lobe. I can always see these things coming, even from the outside, uh, by seeing and noting the bladder and prostate contours as we're taking these dissections from the lateral planes towards the medial planes. Once we enter into the um, prostatophysical junction, I'll grab the Foley catheter, lift that up with my fourth arm, uh, and then take a quick look inside the bladder neck, uh, assessing for whether there's a median lobe. But then a key feature is then to look at your thickness of your bladder neck muscle. And then you can kind of estimate a nice thickness that you want to maintain anteriorly, laterally, and posteriorly. And then very often I will go back lateral outside the bladder neck and then really dissect the rest of my bladder neck attachments away from the prostate laterally so they drop very, very well down. And then once I come across the posterior bladder neck, um, then I already have a big distance in between my bladder neck and my prostate. So those are my quick bladder neck tips going from lateral to medial. Once we get through that plane, then we'll be finding our seminal vesicles and vas deferens. I typically use an anterior approach, meaning I do not dissect out the seminal vesicles and vas deferens beforehand at the outset of the operation. I will do that after I do my bladder neck by getting a nice plane in between the prostate and the bladder. Um, I will usually try to identify this whitish tissue plane with fibers that run up and down between the prostate and the bladder, and I like to call that the retrotrigonal plane. Your seminal vascles and vas deferens will be immediately behind uh, that layer. Uh, once you cut through the uh, retrotrigonal plane, there will usually be a small adipose tissue layer. If you push that away, then you should be right down on your vas deferens and seminal vascles. Uh, the tip that I have here is to really use your fourth arm to give yourself good counter tension, but initially you want to grab one of the vasa and then lift that straight up. Um, my big tip here is to maintain your vas integrity, meaning don't cut it, don't clip it immediately as soon as you see it. Maintain that and use that as a direction tool to find the tip of your seminal vesicle. So my standard practice is to lift up on the left vas deferens, uh, which we can usually identify pretty quickly. We'll pull that straight up, and then without cutting or clipping, I will push down on the vas deferens, get myself a good length, and then I'll come just medial to my vas deferens, and then push the, the non-VA fascia, which will usually come into view, away from the medial side of your seminal vesicle. Uh, once I do that, I can usually keep spreading and pushing down with very little use of any kind of cautery all the way down to the tip of the seminal vesicle on the left. I will maintain my vast integrity then and then move on to the right side by sweeping the denovious fascia down all the way to the right and then grab up on my right 
DAS deference, lift that up, use that as a direction tool to find my seminal vesicle on the right side all the way down to the tip. And then once I do that, I really have a big wide open space between my two vas. I can see both the medial edges of my seminal vesicles on both sides. And then I'll clip and cut my vas on the right side. Uh, once I do that, then, then I'm already down at the tip. I use my fourth arm to lift that upward and out of the bed. And then we'll clip or cauter, bipolar cauterize all the little feeding vessels. Uh, and then we can repeat that on the left side of the prostate, um, left side of the seminal vesicle. And then um, that dissection usually is very rapid, and it's helped greatly by, again, leaving your vas intact at the outset. Um, the final topic that I wanted to talk about was the apical dissection and urethra. I think um, getting as much urethral length as possible it helps in many facets, obviously, number one, um, with your patient's urinary control. I think having a good length of that of uh, urethra is essential. I think another key aspect is to save as much of the rhabdo sphincter um, as possible. It's um, And so a very careful um, apical dissection, I think, is key. Uh, I will try to do a very circumferential dissection uh, starting after we divide the dorsal venous complex. Um, and then I will look for the muscle on the anterior side of the urethra and then follow that junction all the way around uh, from left to right. And then I'll use my fourth arm to rotate the prostate back and forth. So I'm looking at the apex and the urethra all the way around uh, before we divide it. Um, by doing this, I feel like we can maximize the length of our urethra and then maintain all of the good rhabdosphincter muscle uh, that's sitting around the urethra, which will be very important for post-op urinary control. Um, the other thing that I think having a good, robust urethra provides also is um, um, ease of your anastomosis. Um, I have been using a an anterior suspension stitch in order to take care of our dorsal venous complex, but then by using that stitch and tacking it to the anterior pubis, um, this allows for the urethra to be maintained in the pelvis. Um, I will also use a posterior reconstruction stitch uh, where we uh, connect the posterior retrotrigonal plane back up to the posterior abdosphincter. I think that also brings your urethra down into the pelvis. And that functional urethral length that sits inside the pelvis, I think, is extreme, extremely important. Um, again, not only for continence, but also to ease your anastomosis. Um, there's nothing so frustrating as doing a difficult prostatectomy, but then struggling at the very end um, to get your anastomosis stitches in because you don't feel like you have good urethral length. Um, these tips of the uh, uh, very careful dissection uh, using the anterior suspension stitch and then the posterior reconstruction stitch, I think all of these things work together to really pull your urethra upward. Um, sometimes it can be difficult to lift 
um, that posterior uh, rhabdo sphincter up in your posterior reconstruction stitch. So every once in a while, we will have to use some perineal pressure in order to get some good posterior bites. If you have to do that, um, that's fine. Um, I think it's really important, though, to get those first few stitches. And then once you do, then for the rest of the case, you, you'll likely not need to do it. The other situations which can be quite difficult if you have an obese patient who has an abdomen that's very protuberant and then during inflation, pneumoperitoneum, their abdominal wall moves upward a great ways. Uh, that can really set your ports at a difficult angle to make it difficult to get underneath your pubis to throw those first posterior urethral stitches. Um, in that case, uh, one of the maneuvers that we do is to do a setup joint move in order to drop that port downward. That can uh, decrease that acuity of the angle and make it easier to get that posterior urethra with your posterior reconstruction stitch. Having that good urethra also helps with your anastomosis. I use a barb suture for the uh, posterior reconstruction stitch for our final anastomosis stitch. I think the uh, the, um, barb suture is very, very helpful. It helps to avoid um, having to re-pull and re-pull once there's tension pulling your anastomosis apart. Those barbs can really help maintain your anastomosis together um, and help speed um, that part of the procedure uh, as well as to help reduce urine leaks. So going back, bladder neck, lateral to medial, uh, seminal vesicles, maintain your vas integrity. Don't cut it right away. That can be really useful in order to move down towards the tip of your seminal vesicles. And then finally, Getting some good urethral length, it helps with many, many facets of the operation, uh, your post-operative results, uh, as well as a good anastomosis. Um, so thanks very much for listening in, and um, hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks.